As we follow Christ, sometimes it feels like we're swimming against the flood. But Jesus calls us to walk on water with Him. Without Jesus, we're either sinking or swimming on in our pain and frustration. Today, we'll discover how God pulls us up to walk with Him. Join us as we turn in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Sink says, get worse. We're going to hear about a guy who had leprosy. Okay, leprosy would, is a flesh-eating disease. Okay, we don't see it much nowadays, but, but it is there. How many of you have heard a couple years ago there was a, a, uh, it was a flesh-eating um, parasite, literally called, caused several deaths in the United States? And um, so it's, it's a, that's a modern-day thing, and we're going to say very kind of similar context. The, the leprosy was something that would come on and worse than any skin disorder that we can think of. That, that would literally eat away at. They were isolated by the law, by the way. They were isolated. They weren't supposed to go among people because it's uh, contagious. See, they looked at them as being dirty. They looked at them as being unclean. And so you can't come into our fellowship, see? You can't be around us. So you have to stay out in your own little leper colony is what it was called. So first thing is a sink means get worse. Leprosy is a flesh eating. It's a degenerative uh, disorder. So it's not going to get, you're not going to get any better. It's a matter of there's only one way, and that was healing. New Testament, Jesus heals 10 lepers. Okay, sink means get worse. You can swim, which means continue in your sickness. Many people today, that's what we choose to do. We've learned how to walk in whatever affliction we have. We've learned to walk according to the condition, maybe even a mindset that we've begun to think this is who I am and that's not really who you are. See? And so what happens is sink means you're getting worse. Swim means I can continue in it. That's almost worse to just continue in it. And walk on water means that you can live. You can really live. And the way you live is really simple. It's by faith. And that's what Christianity is about. Not faith in ourselves, but faith in God, faith in Jesus Christ. Here's what it says, Galatians chapter 3, 1 to 5. It's these first five verses. Galatians is written to a group, literally in a a region called Galatia. And so it's written to a group of people in a region, which is now basically, let's call it South South, uh, Asia, that area, China and those areas. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you for the meaning of... Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Even if you've never bowed the knee to Jesus, if you've never made a profession of Christ, you know, you've seen the movies. You've seen the Ten Commandments. You've seen the Passion of the Christ. You've seen, you, you know about it. You, you hear about it at Easter. You hear about it at Christmas. You, you've, you've dealt with this Jesus guy. See, you've seen a picture of his death on the cross, crucifixion, uh, the, the crucifix, which is around, or the cross itself, which has now become a decoration. You've seen it. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. That's my testimony. 
That's what he did is I tried to build myself up in my life to this. And, and it, so I was lacking. I found myself miserable in my success. See, it was when I handed that over to God and said, what are you going to do with this? And he said, well, I'll fix it. Thereby fixing you. Thereby setting your life in order. Thereby bringing joy into your life. Giving you real satisfaction. A related passage of 2 Corinthians 11, 1 to 3. It'll be up on the wall for you. I'm reading from the New American Standard. It says, I wish that you would bear with me a little foolishness, in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. You see, religion and, and men have made religion, has, they've made it really tough. They've made it a matter of jumping through all kinds of hoops. And that's not really what God has wanted it to be as a matter of jumping through hoops because that means you can somehow perform good enough to become good enough to somehow maybe even get to heaven. And if you could do it on your own, you wouldn't need him. So what happens is we have to come to the knowledge that why are we, what is this, 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 what is it that this mindset that makes me think I don't need God? I'm here because of him. It's his decision. He called for me to be born when I was born. So we're actually, the church is many times called the bride of Christ, but the church doesn't mean this structure. The church means us. So you're called a bride. It's one time where it gets weird for guys. That we're called the bride. And it is not something we can see the woman being the bride, but I don't understand me being the bride. But that's because for him, it's not a matter of male and female. It's a matter of for him is that we're all, we're all his children. And because we're his children, what happens is he chooses to marry us. Do you know what that's like? How many of you ever married because you had somebody pointing a shotgun at you? Not much today, huh? So you didn't marry because somebody was forcing you to marry. You got married because there was something in your heart that propelled you and said, I want to take you off the market. I want to secure you forever to me. I want to be yours and I want you to be mine. That's it. Devotion is what the Bible just said. So what that is, is marriage is supposed to be this union that says, till death do us part, this is the way it's going to be forever. But we live in a flawed world. Amen? And because we live in a flawed world... Marriages don't work out so good. But sometimes when they come to Jesus, like the man on the video, even after you got divorced, and folks, we've known three people were like that, who got divorced and ended up falling back in love with each other, sorting their lives out because they came to Jesus and then got remarried. I never married that old hoot again. Oh, yeah? With God, all things are possible. And so... In this case, what happens is he talks about the simplicity and purity of devotion to God, not devotion to a church, not devotion to a system, not devotion to a denomination, not devotion to to a statue, not a devotion to anything else, devotion to God. Wow, how simple can that be? Because he doesn't leave us mindlessly wondering what does that look like and what do we have to do? He jumped through the hoops. He did it all for us. And he laid it out. It's like he says, here you go now. He says that he moved the stumbling blocks 
the, the, the things that would trip us up. He removed those things. He made the path straight. How many of us have been going around the same old bush over and over in your life and you feel like, gosh, I keep taking a wrong turn and when I think I've got on the right place and I'm going to get there, maybe even in time, there's a detour. And I find out that I get into this quagmire and I get into this place where it's just like some big maze of life and I can't ever get out. Kind of like the shining. I just, so what, how can I do this? What's got to happen? Well, let me give you some clues. I had this phrase this week talking to somebody is, I just have been living it all week long. God will mess with you until he takes your mess away. Can you say that? God will mess with me until he takes my mess away. Go ahead, do that one more time. God will mess with me until he takes my mess away. Amen? Let's turn to 2 Kings. It's back if you go to the Old Testament, there's Bibles down in here. And then I'm going to end up by giving you a few key things out of this scripture that's going to give you some things that will keep you from getting clean and coming alive so that when we go to baptize this morning, you can really experience the freedom that God has for you in the waters of baptism. Things that will keep you from getting clean and coming alive. So we're going to see that. There's a guy named Naaman. Naaman. N-A-A-M-A-N. Second Kings chapter 5. It's 14 verses there that gives this whole narrative. And it's a modern day. Think about this in, in terms of today. Think about it, a soldier who goes from, you know, from uh, Iraq or from, from Afghanistan, somebody who's fought in World War II and Vietnam, somebody who's, who's been a champion. And here, that's kind of what this story is about. And yet he's got a, a problem. He's got a flaw. So here it is. So, so now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master and highly respected because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man also was a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Now the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. She was a servant. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Aram said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. He departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand shekels of gold and ten changes of clothes. Let me ask somebody who has some different rendering instead of shekels and uh, 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 talents. Somebody else have, what's your Bible say? Yeah, 150 pounds of gold at uh, $1,500 an ounce. Anybody got an idea how much money that's worth? 150 pounds of gold? So a lot of money, right? He's taking that as an offering. He's taking that so that he can have favor. He's trying to buy something, isn't he? Say, yep. So verse 6, he brought the letter to the king of Israel saying, and now this, uh, as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now, remember, this is from one king to another. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? But consider now and see how he is seeking a quarrel against me. Oh, he's picking a fight. He can't heal the guy, so he's sending him to me like he's going to expect me. So now all the pressure's on me. 
See how that works? He's seeking a quarrel against me. It happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. By the way, tearing your clothes was always a sign of mourning. It was a sign of disgust. It was something that you would only do. You know, imagine the Hulk in his anger ripping his clothes. See what I mean? Wow, right, because I'm ready to go at it, see? So it happened when he heard that the king had torn his clothes that he sent word to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you and you will be clean. But Naaman was furious and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Wow. There's some powerful stuff in that little story. Do you get it? There's some, there's some things that are, are happening that God wants us to see today. That, that these are stumbling blocks in our lives. These are things that trip us up and cause us all kinds of, of problems with one another and with God. So let me break that down a little bit for you. Can you see the first thing that happened is in verse 1, it says that, you know, it says that Naaman, captain of the army of the king, he was a great man with his master. See, his boss thought highly of him, highly respected. And by him, because of, by him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. So one thing is, is it wasn't Naaman. It was God who was giving Naaman the victory. Do you get it? So here's what happens is I'm going to tell you, Naaman forgot about that, that his victory was coming because of God's goodness. See, he began to think he's something. Do you get the idea? Self-righteousness self, uh, is what it's called. So favor from the Lord. Verse 2 and 3 says there's, there's, there we have this hope from an eyewitness, the, the little girl who was actually taken. See, who actually knows Elisha and knows the power of God. And here's this man who's, who's he's, though he's a great valiant warrior and though he's successful and, and, and he's honored and he, he has prestige, here he is that this little girl says, ah, I wish he was in Samaria because I know this guy who has this power of God. And so something happens in his, in his heart. As valiant as he is, he says, this, this is a possibility. Hmm, I wonder. And so what happens is, is the narrative goes on. So here's things that keep you from getting clean and coming alive. Ready? Using people to get your own way. That's verse 4. Verse 4 says he finds this little girl and takes that, that little story and goes to the king of Aram and says, King, you like me. How about doing this? Write a letter for me. There's this girl over there. She, she, she says there's somebody, there's a healer over there in Israel, in Samaria. So, gimme, gimme, gimme. See, that's called using people. That's what it is, using people. 
So using people to get your own way, that'll keep you from getting clean and coming alive. Verse 5 says your own wealth, your resources or credit. See, the idea is that you can pull out a, 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 a credit card and you can pay a bill, see, that, that you can just take care of it yourself. In, in his case, it's that we're going to send 150 pounds of gold, 750 pounds of silver. We're going to try to 10 changes of clothes. By the way, clothes were, were not like they are today where you just get them anywhere um, for nothing, see. They, they were expensive. It was, it was privilege if you could dress well. So here he is, 10 changes of clothes from who? From the king. Guess how a king dresses? Huh? They're styling. They got the best of the best. See, they got tailors making their clothes. It's not like the peasant clothes. So in other words, when he sends 10 10 changes of clothes, this is something special. This is like me coming in and taking your best stuff you like the most out of your closet. So one thing that will keep you is using people to get your own way. The second thing is your own wealth, your own ability to fix things in your life. Later on, if you read the rest of that chapter, you'll hear about a, name, a guy named Gehazi. And Gehazi actually gets a little greedy. So that's for later on. How about the next verse is verse 8. You can jump down to, how about this? How about what the king did? He took offense. Vain imaginations. Oh, he's sending this guy to me because he wants, who am I? Am I God? He's doing this because he's picking a fight with me. Anybody ever do that where all of a sudden you got this thing going on? Your mind is telling you that, well, he looked at me. I know he looked at me and he's, he's thinking this about me. See, you feel judged. You feel like something negative, something bad. You, and you're picking a fight and you're, you're being offended. For what? That's not what's going on. It's, it's you, not the other people. He's battle weary. See, this king has been going out and Naaman has been going out and fighting and he's used to having a bunch of people against. Have you ever felt like that? Everybody's against you and nobody likes you? And when you get in that position, you begin to see people's enemies instead of seeing them as somebody who might be coming to give you an assist or to help you. So one of the things that will keep you from getting clean and coming alive is your vain imagination. This hypersensitivity that we get where all of a sudden, gosh, what did I do to you? How about the next one in verse 9, attitude? See, he was offended. You know why? Because it says that he shows up and he, he showed up in his horses and chariot. That'd be like you and me showing up in our, what, Cadillac Escalade or showing up in our Hummer, showing up in a fancy vehicle, see? Horses and chariots. Having horses, well, that was no big deal. Having chariots, that's a big deal. So in other words, he showed up in his prestige, and he came to the door. And what did Elisha do? Do you remember what Elisha did? Elisha didn't go to the door, open the door, and bow down and say, oh, great to see you, Naaman. God's about to do a mighty thing in your life. No, you know what it says? It says he sent a servant to tell him what to do. Go, go dunk yourself in the, in the river seven times. And what was he? He was offended. See what's happening there? Attitude, offense arrogance, the idea that he thinks he's somebody and he deserves it. In America, that's what we got our culture telling you is you deserve it. You deserve. He was flaunting his position, his power and value. Remember valor. Remember it says that he was a valiant warrior. Well, he wanted that respect. He wanted, he wanted Elisha to do this because he deserved it because he's a valiant warrior and he's got favor with the king. 
And Elisha didn't even pay him time of day. Didn't answer the door. Sent a servant to talk to him. Are you serious? A servant? 10 and 11, verse 10 and 11 tells you that it was offense or an insult to him. Verse 11 says he was furious. Anger will keep you from being able to to get clean and come alive. Because anger will lock you into a place where you're critical. It locks you into a place where you don't have joy. Locks you into the place where you don't want to forgive. And forgiveness is a key to really being happy, to having joy in your life. Verse 12 actually ties on to that. Even takes anger to another stage. What's the next stage after anger? Rage. That's actually what the Bible said. Rage. This place where you go from, from being angry, furious, to this rage. And why? Because there was a misunderstanding. There was ignorance. He didn't understand. See, he's actually saying, aren't the rivers there cleaner than this one? Isn't the drinking water coming out of your faucet at home better than drinking out of the Ohio River? This is like him saying, go drink out of the Ohio River. And you're thinking, oh, come on. I know all the chemicals that are dumped into that. If I want clean drinking water, I've got that at home. Why'd I come here? But that's not what it was about. He misunderstood. He's not talking about when we're talking about getting clean this morning. We're not talking about taking a bath. We're not talking about a matter of washing off something that, that you know, is, is temporary. We're talking about cleaning you from that old sin habit, from that old sin consciousness, from that old way of doing life that you're sold into bondage, that you continue to find yourself going there. That's why we're being baptized this morning, because Jesus set you free. Wow, that's exactly what it is. And so now what I want is I want to go into this watery grave and when I come back up, wow, that's not me anymore. That old is definitely gone and washed away. Oh, it happened when you got saved. But deliverance comes because there's now in the waters of baptism, there's some benefits I want to tell you about real quick. Ready? Up, last one, verse 13. How about this? Remember what it said in there, verse 13? Then his servants came near and spoke and said, My father, had the prophet told you some great to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? See? Well, that's easy. Oh, that's too easy. Can't be. Oh, I you know, don't you think if I could have could have just done that, I've bathed in our pure waters. I've done everything I can do to be clean and to be free from this leprosy. Don't you think I would have done it already? It's a simplicity. That's the last thing. This keeps people from coming to Jesus too. Things that would keep you from getting clean and coming alive. The last one is simplicity. He says he'll use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. We can become wise in our own estimation. We can be so stinking clever, so smart, so much knowledge that we actually can't understand the simplicity of our faith. And then we become bewitched, which is what he was saying to the Galatians. Who's bewitched you? Who is it that's stolen this from you? Why are you in this miserable condition when you know better? And if you don't know better, you do now today because I've just told you the truth. God wants you free. And here's, here's, here's my, 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 one of the greatest things I feel like God's ever shown me as a pastor for everybody's benefit, including mine. If you could fix yourself, you wouldn't be broke. So as Dr. Phil says, how's that, how's that working for you? 
So let's just admit that we can't do it, and we need God. And that's why you come to church on a Sunday morning. That's why you listen to the the foolishness of the preaching. Because in the end, that's the key to take that lock off and set yourself, see, see yourself set free, which is what Jesus has done for us. Three things that it does. It's deliverance from sins. That's what I read for you in the beginning with Romans. You break the penalty of sin which is death and separation from God. You break the power of sin, which means you can't help yourself. You're given over to it. No, that's not who you are anymore in Jesus Christ. You become a new creation. You don't have to do that stuff anymore. Stop telling yourself, stop giving yourself an excuse to continue to live by the flesh. Stop it. And the last thing is you're delivered from the presence or the place of sin in your life. It has no place in your life. You get to say now when you're tempted, you get to say, that's not who I am. And I don't have that lust for that thing anymore in my life. I don't have that lust for pornography. I don't have that lust for cigarettes. I don't have that lust for drugs. I don't have that lust for money. I don't have that lust for appreciation or the applause of man. I don't, that doesn't have the the place. What's happened is his presence has taken the place of that presence in my life. You see that? You're no longer slaves to sin. Sin has lost its power, its rule. And you know how you did that? Just like we sang in the song. Because as I bow down, what I do is I bow before the king, who's not the king of Israel. He's not the king of Aram. He's not the king of of Jerusalem. He's not the king of any, any named place. He's not the king of America. He's not the king of England. He's not... He's the king of the, of the world. He's the king of the universe. He's the king of kings is what his title is. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the bosses of bosses. See, he's the sovereign one. And that's what happens. You come to him. And now by coming to these waters of baptism, let me ask you a question. For the candidates who are going to be baptized this morning, The basis for water baptism is because you've had a revelation of Jesus Christ and he's he's made himself real to you and alive. And that now you make a decision today that you don't want to live for yourselves. You want to live for him. And the way you're going to do that is you're going to be washed and cleaned and delivered from your old nature and your old ways. And we're going to do that through the waters of baptism. You've been listening to Pastor Joel Trailer at New Life Fellowship in Shadyside, Ohio. This message is titled, Sink, Swim, or Walk on Water. To learn more about New Life Fellowship and our service times, visit our website at www.timefornewlife.com.